What's that? What's that mug say? Hero, legend, what? Grandpa. Grandpa. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> though. You better not be. <laughs> Man, I want to hear your inflection first. Okay. You're so much more I mean, of a consummate professional than I am. <laughs> That's a stretch. Uh, beyond a stretch. <laughs> Welcome to Shiftless. A show for those who are passionate about anything and everything bicycles and cycling. We ask the questions that usually matter, but oftentimes really don't. And whenever possible, we bring in the experts to help sort out our confusion. We're just a couple of chuckleheads easily distracted by shiny objects who need things explained to us like we are well-developed toddlers. If you've forgotten how to have fun with bicycles, then this show probably isn't for you. Take two. Welcome to Shiftless, a show for those who are passionate about anything and everything bicycles and cycling. We ask the questions that usually matter, but oftentimes really don't. And whenever possible, bring in the experts to help sort out our confusion. We're just a couple of chuckleheads easily distracted by shiny objects who need these things explained to us like we are well-developed toddlers. If you've forgotten how to have fun on bicycles, then this probably isn't for you. Uh, I'm Kevin, uh, definitely a cycling fanatic mountain biking background but rolled into endurance cycling that evolved into gravel quite a while back and uh since 2010 i have been putting on bicycle events kind of centered around ultra endurance gravel and mountain bike mostly but we throw some bike packing stuff in the mix and a few other creative adventures as well and i am joined by my good friend chef brad green brad tell us about your background please man where to start i've been riding since i was old enough to walk and have always had a bike of some sort so cycling has always been a passion of mine along with cooking um i do a little bit of every discipline of cycling um geared more towards bike packing adventure cycling as of recently uh gravel mixed surface rambles I love to just go explore. I want to, every time I see a road that I don't know where it goes, that's where I want to go. Let's kind of start rolling. Uh, we literally covered a lot of ground last week when we were uh, out and about doing some scouting and roughing out some concepts about what this podcast might be like. Uh, did you have any takeaways from our, our, our trip last week or anything that struck you besides hanging out with Gwen Stefani? <laughs> man she was even hotter in person um <laughs> no i just i i was just reveling in our conversation you know i i think one of the reasons i'm excited about this is because you know i'm gonna just crack this egg already you know people think that kevin lee is socially awkward and I've never felt like that. Uh, there's never a dull moment between you and I, and we have very, I love, I feel like we have enthralling conversations because there's not, there's no big pauses in our conversation. And we, we both bring our own perspective. Oftentimes, admittedly, mine's very uneducated and opinionated and yours is educated and still opinionated. <laughs> and we just, I just love our banter. We covered so many topics and it's just fun and seeing beautiful roads and finding dead ends. So like I said, going into it, the best roads I've ever found in all of my explorations always finish with a dead end. <laughs> and you, and you weren't wrong on this occasion. Thing. Yeah. Um, well, and hey, thanks for cracking that egg. I definitely get uh, where you're coming from with the uh, 
the socially awkward perception that may be out there. Uh, it's it's more it's more of an introvert thing, I think. I totally get it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not an introvert around people I'm comfortable with, but I have to be comfortable with people. How long that. have we known each other? I was thinking about this the other day because because we were friends before you put on your first event in 2010. So. Well, I mean, at least 15, it, it definitely goes back years. to dirt dog days. So, yeah. and you know, it, it would, I think it would be fair to say we were probably at least aware of each other prior yeah. to dirt dogs. I remember some RCP action, um, maybe a race or two. You were racing some back in the day, weren't you? Yeah. Well, and, and were okay. you the one, you, you put on the time trials as well, right? That was Chris that did most of those. I helped with a couple of them. So what, 2005-ish, maybe, somewhere around there? Seems legit, Probably. going on 20 years. Our, uh, our travels last week, just to kind of give an, a thumbnail of it, basically we were scouting a bunch of gravel and dirt roads uh, in southern, towards central-ish Oklahoma. What's your thoughts on the terrain, the roads, what's going on with with uh oklahoma in that in that neck of the woods literally uh for for riding and adventuring what do you think of it man i i think oklahoma is beautiful uh much like we discussed uh you know arkansas and oklahoma are very similar to me they have a beautiful landscape and it seems neglected by the people in a lot of places um, which tends to get scary on some of the truly back roads, but the people are friendly and I mean, the views are amazing. Um, they still have a ton of gravel in Oklahoma, which we discussed has been kind of the, the dwindling here in Texas, you know, gravel is just receding and receding and receding in, in Oklahoma, it still seems very prevalent. Um, and just for long stretches. Unfortunately, one of my favorite roads that we found that day was, as you said, ended in a dead end. And it it, it was puzzling to me because I was so defeated by it. You were just like, eh, that's how it happens. I thought it was gorgeous. I think uh, Oklahoma still has a lot to offer in the ways of gravel and even adventure riding and all the exposed rock. I don't think I've, I've ever witnessed that in Oklahoma. That was a, a new one for me too. And I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's worth seeing some of that stuff. And, and I hope that you can wind as much of that route through there as possible. I think you said you've done a route through there before, um, but that was, that was really cool. And I took a bunch of pictures to try to show my wife and much like you said, again, the pictures don't do it justice at all. And some good running water too. Yeah, yeah. I thought you would enjoy the area. Um, it's one of those things I really like to, I like to scout with other people cause it's real easy for me to go, well, this is really cool, but that's from my perspective. Sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, being the socially awkward person I am, sometimes my <laughs> perspective doesn't line up with others perspectives. You're not going to use that against um, me this whole podcast, are you? No, I, I, again, I, just, just like you said, I think we can be honest with each other. And that's, that's what, uh, you know, that's, that's why I enjoy hanging out with you. Uh, I think that's one, you know, that's one of those things. It's, I'm comfortable sharing my opinions with you. 
because yeah. even if I misspeak or if something I think doesn't align with what you think, we're not going to hold it against each other. And that's, right. that's, that's getting a little more rare these days. And I think it gets more rare uh, as time moves on. Hopefully things like that start going the way they should and uh, folks hang out together and have a good time regardless of their thoughts and beliefs. Definitely around Dallas, Fort Worth, North Texas. It's the same around Austin. I'm assuming it's the same uh, closer to San Antonio, closer to Houston. Basically, at least in Texas with the population ex explosion, the closer you are to a metro area, the more we're losing dirt and gravel roads. One of the reasons I was scouting that specific area is it's, it's really not a long stretch in my perception uh, from Dallas Fort Worth to go up there and check some of that stuff out. Would you would you be on the same page with that or, or is it a little bit of a haul and too many hoops to jump through for people to check out? Well, let's start by saying that I live north of Fort Worth and a lot of people already say I live in Oklahoma, jokingly. So, but from my house, we were there. I mean, we started scouting roads and I think a matter of 35 minutes or so. So I, I would say it's not that far at all. I mean, it, from my place, it takes me 45 minutes to get into Dallas, you know, like downtown area. So, I mean, it's, it's literally quicker for me to get into Oklahoma. Obviously, if somebody lives in Oak Cliff or Waxahachie or Cleburne or something like that, it's a, it's a little bit of a, it's a different story. Even from Cleburne, you're maybe an hour and 15 minutes from being in Oklahoma, you know? Assum maybe. Ass assuming 35's not at a standstill. Now, the, the one thing was not a ton of amenities along the route, but I think, you know, the way we were going, we kind of hit a crossroads town at least in a, something with a quick store, fairly regular, enough amenities in that Dougherty. area to patch it together. Yeah. Was it, did you, did you figure out how to say that town? Was it Dougherty or Dougherty or? We did. I meant to ask her. Anybody that knows Oklahoma town names properly pronounced, D O U G H E R T Y Doherty. Somebody, uh, somebody, give us the phonetic spelling on that one, please. I went up there on uh, Saturday and made sausage. Well, how'd that go? Amazing. We made. I don't know the total, but in my estimation, we made close to 400, 500 pounds of sausage. So, not bad for just a Between bunch of guys hanging out. I made 30 pounds, okay. or 50 pounds myself. I made 30 pounds of uh, andouille and 20 pounds of spicy Italian. Um, plan is to smoke my andouille tomorrow after it blooms. It's uh, been blooming for, well, today's day two. Walk me through it. What is, what is blooming sausage? So there's two ways to do it. The traditional way is to hang it on dowels and put it in, in a cool place where air passes over it. And you're essentially trying to dry the casing so it, it tightens up um, releases some of the moisture. Um, and the whole premise is once it gets to that point, then you can refrigerate it, freeze it, whatever. And it, it helps with that, that bite. Um, other than I was you know, just about to, is that what gets the right bite? Yeah, rather than than having that sausage that you bite and you have to 
chew. Um, so okay. I'll let that I'll let that go until it's no longer tacky on the exterior, and then I'll do a cold smoke on it, and then I'll cool it and package it and freeze it. And I've got some for for the the guy on the other side of the skull. Excellent. Thank you very much. I assume some of that uh, Italian sausage might be going in your pizza oven. Is that a good guess? That's part of the plan for right now. It all went into the freezer, though, just because I have no immediate plans for it. I have a dinner coming up. We'll have a, a wine dinner tonight, and then I have a, a nine-course dinner on Saturday that I have to start getting ready for i need to finalize my menu and shop and all that stuff but and i've got cooking classes this month and so uh if people are uh brad curious about your uh about your classes or your pri private dinners or your family meals or what, what do you what do you call your family meal weekend your saturday night fam. what's that called fam fam it's food food what's... adventure memories food adventure memories What's the best mm -hmm. way for folks to get more of the details around what you do along those lines? Well, our website is eatatfam.com. Not an ampersand, it's just A-T, eatatfam.com. And we have a Facebook page that's just food adventure memories. We have, I have uh, Instagram. Is it, it does, is it all accessible from your main website? Uh, it is, yeah, yeah, you're right. Go to eatatfam.com and then you can follow all the links there so yeah that's you're way good, smarter at this stuff than point. i am anything mm -hmm. bike related that's going on in your world that you that you want to talk about that's new or different or anything like that i do want to tell you something food related to bikes that a little story that i did not get to share with you on wednesday when we were scouting that i thought you would get a kick out of oh we well went, that might make a great transition please yeah tell me that's when we went we went and did wood ape ramble and I had a bright idea. I bought two 16 ounce ribeyes and I vacuum or sous vide them, uh, cooled them, vacuum sealed them with all my butter and everything in there and froze them. And so when we took off the first day, they were in my pack frozen. By the time we got to camp, they're thawed out. I have a little Vargo titanium grill that just folds flat. I, it may be four inches by eight inches, give or take. And then when you unfold it, it doubles and it weighs nothing. And so we built a fire and I scooped coals under it and finished my ribeye. I brought one, another one to share and one for me. And I didn't end up eating the whole thing anyways. But, um, and then I bought, um, I actually stole this idea from somebody else, but the little PC wines I had, some Pinot Noir wine. And so we had like, I don't know, there was like 10 or 12 of us on this trip. And here these guys are eating all their freeze dried stuff. <laughs> and I'm grilling a ribeye. And, and they were <laughs> they were notably upset, yet somehow not surprised. Um, I like I like your style. That's, uh, that's, that, that's, that's the way I like to, I like to adventure myself. I will I'm one of those, you know, obviously I'm not interested in getting there the fastest. So if I uh, have to carry a little bit of extra weight, like a, a, a decent chair is important to me. It's worth the weight investment. Uh, a good meal 
first night or first breakfast, that, that's got some potential to it as well. You were asking earlier, when did we first get to know each other? And, you know, I mentioned RCP Tuesday night single speed days was probably towards the beginning of it. Uh, I mean, back in those days, you were hardcore single speed, right? Still, still am. Yeah. Still, um, I, I know you still are, but you, you, you do have gears on your bikes these days though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, well, let's be clear. I, I've I've always been a, a hardcore single speed guy on the trail. Um, I'm not discounting or discrediting the merits of single speed on gravel or single speed on the road. Um, although I did do hot hotter than hell. The only time I've ever done it, I did it fixed. Um, but I, I limit my single speed to trail and even then it's you know like we went to arkansas a couple of weekends ago and there's a couple of trails there that i would not have wanted to ride single speed although the womble i did ride single speed i mean that's a beautiful single speed trail but i'm not a gravel single speed guy i've never been the the single speed on every one of my machines guy but i've always had a dedicated single speed mountain bike i mean for 25 years probably so um and yeah we well, ride I, I bring it up because i i think that's probably how we first started getting to know each other was uh i i started i started um drinking the single speed kool-aid about that time a little bit myself mm -hmm. and, uh, definitely i fell in love with single speed across all disciplines myself i'm i'm happy to gravel single speed i'm happy to long day bike pack single speed obviously within certain limitations you know climbing sure. twelve thousand feet at a 17 percent grade no not a good fit yeah. uh, but i bring it up for completely selfish purposes i'm pretty dang excited i am uh i'm getting my first new single speed mountain bike in years and i'm pretty darned excited by it a i've been off the mountain bike for the most part for quite a while so i want to get back on the mountain bike but uh i want all the dirty details now i'm not going bling bling that's not my style generally speaking don't i have nothing against it i just i can't spend the money on it i can't justify it so uh starting with a salsa timberjack frame with alternating mm -hmm. dropouts the aluminium i'm fine with aluminium with it mm -hmm uh have have a set of i9 wheels that have been collecting dust in my garage for a while 27.5 wheels that were on my stella uh that i i changed that over to 29er a while back so i, I just can't let i9 wheels go to waste so i think that's a and a fox fork i think that's a decent starting spot and uh building it from there what i'm wanting to do and this actually touches on some of the stuff some of our conversation from last week as well uh, i'm looking forward to trying out modern geometry i'm mm -hmm. gonna put a dropper post on it just to check it out and i'm gonna do flats so that way yeah. i can i can have an informed opinion on all of those subject matters and not just sound like a get off my lawn old man because i don't Anyone else that's choosing those things, I have no problem with other people's choices. 
I'm just yeah. one of those that goes, eh, you don't have to have a dropper post. You can ride without a dropper. You don't have to have modern geometry. You can ride with a 2010 bike. Right. Uh, you know, I'm, I, well, I'll be honest with you, probably the flat pedals are going to be the ones that it's going to be really hard for me to see an advantage to flat pedals. It is what I'm guessing, but I'm, I'm willing to give it a fair shake. There's a big learning curve for flat pedals. Well, a re-learning curve for flat pedals. I did flat pedals for for uh, quite some time. Uh, one of the guys, James Wilson, who's out of uh, Fruta, Colorado, he's uh, got a lot of ties to some of the guys that, that we used to run with back in the day that are over in Dallas, you know, Gorilla and Bane and, and Stephen Brown and those guys. Um, I actually ended up meeting him when I was out in Fruta through those guys and he has written many articles about flat pedals and and how we've been trained to think that you know we pull so much on our upstroke and and um you know there's so much gain to be made from that and and uh he was we sat down and had lunch one day and we happened to be right next to over the top oh over the top i think it's called the the one of the main shops there in fruta and by the end of the conversation, I was like, I I'm sold. I'm sold. I, I believe you. Um, so I went next door and I bought some shoes and I bought some pedals. And I went on that mission for a while. Um, the one thing I, I felt after it was over or after I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to clipless pedals, was I've been riding clipless pedals since 92, 93 maybe, when they first came out, when... Shimano came out with the very first clipless mountain bike pedal. Um, but sorry, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. The, the thing I found was in our area and our trails, I didn't see a huge benefit to clipless pedals. Um, just because we don't have a lot of technical stuff. Like if, if all of our trails were like the West side of, North Shore, I would see more benefit to it. Um, but James uh, went ahead. Uh, he now has his own pedal line and apparently he's doing really well. It's called uh, Pedaling Innovations. Is here, here's the main thing that James told me that I would not have anticipated that made a huge difference is like he, he made the, the comparison, like even with a clipless pedal, the shoe and the pedal are important. Like if you have, you know, a situation where you're using, let's say an egg beater and you're using a soft sole shoe, you're going to end up with hot spots, you know, and egg beaters, not a good comparison in this point because they have, I, well, I've not used egg beaters that much, but they have a, a lot of engagement, a lot of movement. Um, whereas if you have a, a zero float uh, Shimano style pedal, and you have your cleat adjusted proper improperly, you're going to end up having pains as well. So, but the going back to the point, the pedal and the shoe make a difference when you're talking about a flat pedal situation. Um, I, I definitely see the merits to it, especially if you have knee pain, if you're on and off the bike a lot. Um, you know, knee pain is the biggest thing because the thing. A lot of us don't understand as we get overuse injury 
because we ride clipless pedals and we're always engaged in that same exact motion. There's no variability in that. And the new geometry thing, I just recently retired my bike from 2012. Uh, I had a custom Soulcraft that I had built 11 years ago. In fact, it just showed up on my Facebook memories either yesterday or the day before, and I was a little saddened. But I built up a Karate Monkey, and it's newer geometry. And I mean, it's it's fairly bling, but like you said, I'm not, you know, I didn't wasn't in a position to throw a ton of money at it. But I had a Fox Fork, and I, uh, you know, built it up. But um, and it's it's been a nice learning curve as well. But it's a, it's a different animal, and they both have their merits. It's just relearning how geometry handles. Um, it's a fun bike, and it's a solid bike. What gearing are you running on the, on the monkey? Um, man, I'm a spinner. You know, uh, there's you know, there's those guys that like to grind it out. I'm more of a spinner. I run a 3220. Like I said, I'm a spinner. I don't mind high cadence and. And everything. I just don't like to be behind my gear the whole ride. I get the 3420. Are you one of those when you take the bike somewhere else? Do you do you change the gearing every time? Or are you a grab and go guy? Um, yeah. I mean, there's obviously consideration for where I'm going to be. Um, so I went down to visit our buddy Shannon in Houston, and as you know, there's no elevation in Houston. Flat as a pancake. Yeah. Yes. And we went to ride um, a local trail of theirs, and he said, dude, if you're not running a 32.16, you're going to be totally lost. And I was like, man, there's no way. I don't want to turn a 32.16. And he was absolutely right. And I still have a trophy on that full pull of that trail because I was running a 32.16, and this was two or three years ago. But only because wow. I was following the... I was following a wheel of a guy that knew the trail and had tremendous fitness, you know, but we went to, uh, Mena, Arkansas area two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And I changed my gear from a 3220 to a 3221 for the Womble. And I was happy I did it. You know, um, that's a, it's a long grind. You know, I think it was 40, 42 miles and somewhere around the same amount of elevation, like 4,200 feet of elevation. Um, nothing super technical, just long grinding climbs. And it, it's, it's nice to, to have a little bit lighter gearing on those situations. I just don't see from my perspective anyway, and, but I'm willing to prove myself wrong. Um, how it's going to be an improvement over clipless for me. Um, I'll, and I'm, I'm not a power in the upstroke guy that I don't, my biggest benefit for my riding for the clipless is just staying on the pedal, no matter what, not worrying about it. It's from my perception, it's a lot easier to do that quick unclip and put the foot down in the rare instance. I do need to do that. And knowing mm -hmm. my foot's always going to be on the pedal. I be honest with you. If I'm going to take that tumble anyway, I'd rather my foot be on the pedal and, and my hip take the hit than putting a leg down and, and, you know, twisting it off like Jay did. But I think from a comfort standpoint, you're definitely going to get an improvement, you know. Um, and, and as far as you saying, you know, your foot always be on the pedal, 
once again, and this is the, the thing that's, that's hard to comprehend is if you have a, a really good pedal shoe interface, it's almost difficult or it is difficult to reposition your foot. I get the concept. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not disputing it. Um, I, I just, I just, you know, I don't see it. How, I don't yet see how it is perceived by flat pedal advocates as that's more secure or a better than, than clipless from that perspective and where you're going with the comfort and the knee pain and so forth. And maybe it is because I am still a crank brothers guy and I do have all of that float. For me, that's never been an issue sort of thing, Right. but it's also one of the reasons, and that's quite frankly, it's one of the reasons I'm still crank brothers. And I think, I think I weathered the, the crank brother failure storm <laughs> actually fairly well Wait. compared to a lot of people. Wait, um, some of their pedals failed? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I uh, through all the years, I only had one. I only had one fail on me that left me stranded. Uh, so I, I got, I got lucky there. But their, uh, their, their uh, longevity seems to be much better these days than it was ten years ago, or so. But I had so many bikes and so many shoes that were all Crank Brothers set up. For me to switch out, hell, it would have cost me twelve hundred bucks in pedals. You know, kind of along those lines on the on the gravel side. Well, so you did have you did have some flat experience. I'm assuming that even with SPDs and Crank Brothers and so forth, uh, anytime you're going clipless, mud can still be an issue. So that you know, I mean, obviously we don't ride muddy trails around here, but there's just times when stuff comes up and. You, you unexpectedly traipse through it. So, I mean, that, that's going to be one advantage, I would assume, always for flats, is if you get in a muddy situation, or, you know, even if you are not riding muddy trails, but if you're doing have, have to do a hike, a bike, creek crossing or something like that and gum up everything in mud, I assume there's sure. still an advantage there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I bring that I mean, up because it just, it, it just registered with me that this, this is Mid-South Week, mm -hmm. and... I think, I think they're expecting rain up there again this year. Have you have you noticed any of that? Don't they seed the clouds? <laughs> I mean, how else do they I'll guarantee? I had. <laughs> There's people that get upset when it's not muddy up there. Yeah, right. I, I don't know how they manage to make it muddy every year. It seems what past four years or so. Hasn't it been? Uh, uh, I think I think two, I think two years ago was dry and people complained. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. People I may, complained. I may, yeah, <laughs> it's like you know we you know it it wasn't a mud fest that tore off three thousand derailleurs and uh, you know nobody right. went hypothermic or anything like that. Nope, not a good not a good mid south. Um, that's the that type said, two fun we were talking about. Yeah definitely a lot of type two but i bring that up because and, may, and maybe you're maybe you're traveling in different circles than me i haven't now that i think about it i haven't seen much chatter about mid-south or any anyone you know that's going or anything like that the usual suspects fraser's going um and then uh caleb 
is going. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know he was going. And he's like, yeah, I told you. And then I was like, okay. Um, I guess he, he did tell me, but he's going up there to do it. Um, I haven't checked the weather either. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be rainy and muddy at all. But That's for giggles. You you keep talking there. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna check to see what it is for the forecast there. Well, and I was asking you because I've definitely not been hearing as much chatter about it, and I don't think that's anything against Mid South because I'm pretty sure that they're sold out regardless. I, oh yeah, I think they sell out. You know, it's one of those right. events that sells out within minutes, and yes. I think that's probably part of the reason you don't hear a lot of chatter about it is because that it, you know, once it's sold out, nobody really talks about it. So, yeah, well, I mean, just the it used to be a big deal, people loading up to go and putting together their stuff and things yeah. like. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a shift in the in the overall gravel dynamic, to be honest with you. I think um, I think people are traveling to fewer events because there's more local stuff everywhere in the country. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it's, you know, it used to be if you wanted to get in a gravel event, you know, yeah, you might do one or two of ours a year. But then you'd have to, you'd, you know, you'd have to travel to Mid South or uh, DK slash Unbound or whatever, or something, you know, way out there, Crusher and the Tusher. But now there's stuff everywhere, so people yeah. don't have to travel for it. But uh, so here's what I'm seeing um, tonight, or I'm sorry, today, 40% chance of rain and still water. Tonight, 90% chance. Wednesday, 80% chance. Wednesday night, 70% chance. Thursday, 70% chance. Thursday night, 20% chance, uh, but mostly sunny Friday and partly sunny Saturday. Hmm. So it's not saying rain total amounts in this, but a high percentage chance of. Leading up to the, yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those if if, if it's a ninety percent coverage, but it's only a half inch through all that, yeah. it's not a big deal. No big but deal. If it's, a, if it's a cumulative three or four inches, that could be a big deal. Ninety percent at half inch, one inch could actually improve course conditions almost. It could. Well, and for those that want it muddy, it's definitely going to help out some. I can't imagine someone <laughs> I can't desiring imagine. mud. So the you talked about derailers getting ripped off the first year i went up to do what was then called dk um we got hailed on and rained on and you know those are all is it the sea roads um they're unimproved and not maintained and so we traipsed through like four or five miles of road where it was just like calf deep mud and at like a mile 136, uh, Shannon and Koshin were sitting there drinking a beer. And I was trying to figure out if I was going to keep going. And so I sat there and drank a beer with them and watched four people almost in a row shear off derailers. And I was like, I think I'm done. <laughs> we had gotten hailed on and 
saw tornadoes and there was lightning and everything. And I was just like, I think I'm done. But uh, it, the mud made it miserable. And the other thing is they rerouted it mid-race mid um, and were bypassing a bunch of the, the roads. And I was like, eh, it's not really the same thing. But went back the next year and we were treated with beautiful weather. And it was freaking awesome. So, well, there you go. Weather is always a factor. I've heard somebody weather say that is before. always a factor. Another thing we kind of chatted about when we were covering all that ground last week, we touched on. Uh, well, I guess we more than touched on e-bikes. That was a that was a featured part of the conversation multiple times last week. Um, but one of our questions that we to ourselves that I don't think either of us really knew and I, I don't I still don't think I know the answer but I think I've better clarified it was you know somebody that's on an e-bike for fitness purposes or fitness gains or e-bike is still building my fitness perception um, I I dug down into that a little bit more uh, haven't gone in depth I think that's something that that that's something if 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 we can find an expert to talk about it somewhere down the road i i would love to hear from somebody that's actually educated on on the topic from from a training perspective mm -hmm. but even so the the studies that seem to be out there so far are indicative of even somebody that's focused on trying to maintain equivalent output training however you want to perceive it in a, in a studied environment, it's going to be a five to 10% drop in, in what a session does fitness wise. Uh, gen, you know, generally speaking, uh, which for most people, for the average Joe probably isn't a huge detriment. Obviously, if you're trying to train at, high-end pointy end of the peloton uh levels that five to ten percent is going to be a huge difference but my takeaway from it was that well that's in a measured study environment where somebody's really focused on you know they it was like on a closed loop uh 60 minutes very very specific and a highly trained athlete already if somebody's on an e-bike and they're you know just pedaling around North Shore and going by perceived effort and, and stuff like that. Uh, I can definitely see that five to 10% dipping down to 15 to 20% uh, negative mm -hmm. difference pretty easily. Would you agree? Or am I, am, am I being e-bike biased there? Do you think? I think even, even higher numbers. I just want to, before I comment, I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. You're saying that, that the perceived effort or the actual effort is only five to ten percent less when but when someone's truly applying themselves and they're trying to gather metrics in a closed like vacuum almost, right? Correct. Okay. And so you're saying at North Shore you could see that number being even higher, like less perceived less input essentially. Yeah, right? so somebody somebody that may See, they may reference that, oh, hey, studies show that 
you know, well, yeah, I, it, I'm, I'm losing Oops. five to 10% of my fitness, my workout by using an e-bike instead of analog mm -hmm. bike, acoustic bike, yeah. I, I don't, regular bike, whatever. That's what the studies may say is five to 10%, but that's in that very mm -hmm. controlled environment. So if you're just out there riding your local trail and not that very disciplined athlete following a very structured training program in right. a very structured environment, I can, I can definitely see where it's easy to justify to yourself that I'm only losing five to 10%. So I'm really picking up all this fitness that I would almost the same amount that I would on a regular bike. Cause that's the feedback I hear from a lot of these people. Right. I'm working just as hard as you are. And I've never bought into that. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> Go for I, it, man. I mean, I, I get, you know, that that's probably their perception is that they are working as hard. And, and honestly, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've had only one very short experience on an e-bike that probably was not even a quarter of a mile. Um, but I think that given my limited understanding of e-bikes, I think even, you know, that user input is what determines how much power comes back. So, you know, we were talking about the, the high cadence, you know, activating the, what is it, pedal, pedal assist. So essentially you could turn a, a high cadence just so you're not encountering any resistance. Well, you're encountering less resistance, but you're still getting power. So you're supplementing your power. So you could, I mean, you could ride North Shore 50% effort. Um, and I don't know what your time would be, you know, what your, what your actual saddle time would end up being if it would be comparative. But I mean, I'd, I'd like to go out and ride a course with zero experience and and ride you know like maybe separate it by a week you know like go out and not even hot lap you know but just go out and ride you know a 12 15 mile mountain bike course and then go out a week later and ride it on an e-bike and just see you know compare the metrics and and my personal notes and stuff and just see because like i said i've never ridden an e-bike I, I would like to but I'm also kind of scared that I'm going to like it too much, you know? I mean. Taste of the crack, huh? Yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, you know, part of my reluctancy towards it is my own fear. But that I'm going to be like, oh, I got to have one of these, you know? And then comes the financial aspect and the, the N plus one. And, and then I'm even more scared. Like, well, once you get one e-bike, do you not need another e-bike? You know, I mean, it just, it seems like a gigantic rabbit hole that I'm more than intimidated. <laughs> and, and maybe, and maybe that's why I'm latching onto the fitness aspect of it. Cause definitely mm -hmm. there's no doubt from my perspective, at least for me, the, the, the fitness gains are a, huge part of uh, my cycling passion uh, when I'm in the groove at fitness wise it makes it makes my quality of life a whole lot better and uh, yeah. and I, I don't know that I could accomplish that 
with with an e-bike. Not that there's well, anything maybe, wrong with that, you know. Right. For those that are into it, more power to you. Not not yeah. it. Not, Literally, not. more power to you. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> All right. Maybe well, you partner the flat pedals with the e-bike, and then you offset everything. Oh, we haven't even talked about the dropper post yet. Have you done dropper post? I have one on my big bike. Um, I've got a salsa blackthorn 160 up front, 143 out back. Um, too much bike for DFW area. Um, so that being said, I have limited time on it. I've probably ridden it a dozen times. Um, and it's the only bike that I have a dropper post on. So it's, I'm still, it's, it's still a conscious effort to utilize it. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll find somebody that's willing to, to lend you an e-bike somewhere down the road for an extended try and... That would be cool. I, I'm more open to it than I've ever been, you know, and I used to be a, a straight up curmudgeon hater and everything, but I've started to see way more, um, way more uses for it and way more um, applications uh, where, and not that it's about me, but where I understand it more. One, one of the, the, the big spot that I see the potential for e-bikes but this is what Pinarello got in trouble with trying to promote a few years back is for for couples or families that want to do stuff together but one rider is tremendously more fit than the other sort of thing I think I I, I do believe there's there's a lot of potential there for the for the e-bike market it, that hasn't been addressed properly, and from my perspective, maybe as an event promoter, maybe not uh, addressed appropriately. If my wife's able to do 100 miles at 18 miles an hour on an average basis, but you know, I I, I can't do 10 miles an hour, you know. Yeah. Well. Maybe, you know, maybe I invest in an e-bike so we can ride together for a 60 or 70 mile ride somewhere down the road, mm -hmm. whereas we would never spend time together on the bicycle uh, sort of thing. I think we got enough here to start with. Uh, what I'd like to do is maybe get two or three episodes in the can and online mm -hmm. before we really start talking it up and sharing it and maybe, you know, the next episode or the one after that maybe we can get an expert in to talk about uh one of these things uh what i can probably use your help with you're an apple guy right yep you have an iphone yep um i'm probably gonna lean on you to add the podcasts to apple podcasts uh, I think okay. I have it up on everything else. I'll get you the instructions for it. It's not that big a okay. deal. I just don't have an iTunes account. Okay. And it complicates things. And for me to try to, I actually have a Mac. I'm, I'm talking to you on my Mac now, but evidently I don't have an iTunes account or what it's the Apple ID thing. I don't want to risk screwing up my Apple ID. I ran into that years ago and I've always been paranoid about it since. Okay. Yeah, so I got I'm you. probably going to link lean on you for to add it to apple podcast but like i said maybe get three episodes in the can before okay. we start 
uh, talking it up that way. If somebody likes what they're listening to, they've got another one to listen to sort of thing, as opposed to waiting for another one a week away sort of thing. Yeah, like that's that's one of my things. Like, you know, I've, I've been hooked on quite a few podcasts that, you know, make these and, and, you know, I get it. Life, you know, life changes and, you know, stuff happens and everything. But there's a couple of podcasts that I've just fallen in love with and they just disappear or or they say, you know, we're, we're going to release an episode every Thursday and then there's a three-week dry spell with no explanation and it's, I don't know, you know. But I still, the, the way I do podcasts is when I fall in love with one, I, I click that follow button so I get a, a notification every time they publish a new one. So I don't, I try not to give up on them, but there's, there's certain podcasts that I've, that haven't put out, you know, an episode this year. And I'm like, I, I hope it's not done, done, but you know, right. but so no, I get it. The drought, I, the drought's not fun. That, and that's why, that's, that's why I do what I want to try to, and it's part of what we talked about last, I want to try to really do one each week. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, hopefully we can do them together, but who knows, maybe a week here and there, maybe it's just me or maybe it's just you or whatever else. If um, You're not good at talking in a thin air, remember? I know. I, well, or maybe I get a guest <laughs> that week sort of thing. Uh, bring, 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 on, bring on a Rich Walshman or something to, to, mm. to, uh, to uh, do a, an analog Brad, Brad Green or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm... Personally, I kind of go the other way. Yes, when I find one I like, I will subscribe and get updates. Uh, I kind of like to hunt and peck around. And well, here's one I haven't listened to that's been around for two or three years. So then I can mm-hmm. binge fifty episodes yeah. or whatever else. Yeah. And it just. But then I do run out, and I'm stuck waiting on the week to week, which for me is frustrating because I've kind of gotten into that binge mode. And along yeah. those lines, I'm like, oh, this is something else. So next week is the final episode for season one of last of us last Mm -hmm. night's episode was just so damn kick ass. And now I'm just, I can't, it's killing me to have to wait till next week for this. I should have just binged this thing from the get go, but I knew I couldn't do that because I would hear stuff about it sort of thing. So that's the type of thing that drives me crazy right now. That was like when Outer Range came out and they were releasing two episodes every week. And I haven't had that anticipation since, you know, since cable TV, you know, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, it, it comes out you know, Friday at, at 9 p.m. or whatever. And I was like, I can watch both episodes. I haven't had, like, it's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I, I get it. We have become a binge society where we just, very, everything's... Very Everything's just on demand. You can just consume as much as you want. I, I don't know that it's healthy, but I, I enjoy it. It's convenient. So it, it's definitely it. high on the convenience factor. I mean, I never would have watched every season of Cougar Town any other way. You know, so I don't even know what Cougar Town is. Look, look it up. <laughs> okay, I did. I do want to drop one on you. I just finished a show last night. Do you have Apple TV? Not presently. It's probably about to be added to the rotation. Okay. Which one are you? There's a, there's a show on there on Apple, Apple Plus or whatever it is. 
It's called Blackbird. Um, it is a really well done show. It's it's one season and done. I think there was ten episodes, and I, I don't. I'm not good with actors' names, but um, the main character from uh, oh my gosh, what is the name of that show? Maybe. See if I can get my Google to work. Kingsman. You see the movie Kingsman? Yeah. The main character, uh, Eggie, from there, mm-hmm. um, he plays uh, a lead role in there. And the guy that plays um, Lawrence Hall, this uh, alleged serial killer, is a phenomenal actor. And I'm surprised we haven't seen him in more stuff. Oh, but you have you have you have seen him, but you've usually seen him where he's like a comic actor. He, oh, really? He's the, he's the guy in Cobra Kai. I think, isn't it? Maybe not. Maybe I'm. Yeah, no, I think you're guy. right. He was, he was uh, he he played Richard Jewell in the Richard Jewell one. He was in I Tanya. Mm. He's he's one of he's one he's almost like a Steve Buscemi. In yeah. that, until you actually really know who Steve Buscemi was, that took a while. Right. Um, it's like everything I've seen him in, he's just been awesome, you know. And that this yeah. guy looks kind of a character actor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this guy's really good. I don't know, right. dude. Buscemi showed up on my ra- radar as soon as Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. came out, and I think that was one of his first roles. And I've I've been a fan of his since then. Well, I I was too. Did you know he was Steve Buscemi? Then is what I'm getting at. Did, and if or if somebody said ca- casual conversation, uh, Steve Buscemi. I don't think right. he he registered as your household name right then. But yes, yeah. you recognized that you appreciated yeah. him. Then. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Let me. But now I'm curious. What was Reservoir Dogs his first? <laughs> Let's see. It was the first thing I remember seeing him in. No, I understand. Or was it Airheads? No, I think I think I think Reservoir Dogs was before Airheads. Yeah, because Reservoir Dogs was what ninety two, ninety three. Not giving me IMDb. There we go. That's. I love IMDb. It's such a great reference. I am way too addicted to it. Have been for years. Yeah. Same. Uh, scrolling, 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 scrolling. Good grief. Uh, wait, Miami Vice. Actually, I think I remember seeing him on Miami Vice and The Equalizer. I think I remember seeing him there. He the way it is. I do not remember. Tommy's. I do not remember that. Sleepwalk. Not necessarily Coffee the news. And cigarettes, too. Miami Vice, mm-hmm. No Picnic, Film House Fever. Oh, he in, wow. He was in Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, then Reservoir Dogs. So, yeah, he'd been around a while. I mean, doing what about, small stuff. Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs was his first big role. What about Vibes with Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum? I don't, I don't know that I've even seen that movie, but he, he was in kind of. I kind of remember... That being out there somewhere back in the day. Hmm. I'm going to have to watch Lonesome Dove again and find him. I'm a huge Lonesome Dove fan. Have you ever watched what that? What a great, what a great movie. And that type, uh, Lonesome Dove, 
yes, it's fictitious, but or serious, yeah, based man. on um, just Lonesome Dove and Nowhere for Old, No Country for Old Men, and mm -hmm. um, Hell or High Don't Water. Don't you dare stuff like what? Don't you dare forget about Tombstone. That's one of my favorites. That's not Texas. Okay, well, how about, I'm going oh. into Texas and oh, yeah. New, New Mexico Fair. stuff. All that really plays into, I mean, when we're doing our routes, particularly west of Fort Worth, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just getting into the middle of all that just, just takes me inside those movies. Or when I'm watching those movies, it's like, oh, man, I, hey, I know that. I've been there. Or that's, yeah, it's. It's cool. It's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. That like is cool that. stuff. And uh, the and the historical aspects of it. The uh, even going back to the, the 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 old John Wayne classic, The Searchers, set in Texas. The filming was done is I think you know Monument Valley, Arizona type stuff, but just the the historical aspects of it that actually line up with the real history. Uh, it's it's really cool to tie those pieces together in the real world, and I, I definitely get a kick out of it. I could ramble on for ages on that one, so let, let's save that for brown drinks around a campfire sometime. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed it. Good times, man. Later.